Hey guys, Andrew Doby here with Just a Chat With. If this is your first listen, Just a Chat With is a podcast series where we talk about branding and creativity with the world's best in class. In the last episode, we sat down with Philip Mounier, who is the Chief Creative Officer and Co-Founder of Sid Lee, one of the world's most premier creative agencies with offices in Montreal, Toronto, Paris, New York, LA and Seattle. Go check that one out if you haven't already. Before then, we've also had the likes of David Martin, founder of Fantasy Interactive, Design Matters podcast host Debbie Millman, world-renowned designer Michael Wolf, and a whole host of other amazing guests. In this episode today, though, I sit down with Kevin Swanepoel, who is the CEO um, of the One Club for Creativity based out of New York. We talk about some amazing initiatives that the One Club has been creating during the pandemic to support the creative industry and uh, some of the work they've been doing to positively impact some of the diversity and inclusion challenges that we face in the creative industry. We also hear some great stories from Kevin's career, uh, his early career in the creative industries, how he got into the creative industries and how he came about buying and owning his first creative agency. Kevin also gives some great insights into where the future of agency models are going um, and what roles brands play in today's world. A really enjoyable episode um, and so uh, yeah, enjoy it. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Just a Chat With. I'm your host, Andrew Dobby. Today, I'm very excited as we're here with the amazing Kevin Swanepoel, who is the CEO of the One Club for Creativity, which is the world's foremost non-profit organization recognizing creative excellence in advertising and design. As CEO, Kevin leads The One Show, which is one of the most prestigious award shows in the communications industry. He also shaped the global brand for The One Club, providing leadership for its expansion into China and beyond. With 35 years experience in media and marketing and creative industries, Kevin is a frequent speaker on current advertising trends. He has appeared on Fox, NBC and CBS and also been published in Adweek, Advertising Age, Creativity and Ad Hoc. Kevin established Creative Week the preeminent festival in New York, which uh, I very fortunately attended two years ago for their Executive Creative Summit, um, which was amazing, by the way. Uh, the festival celebrates uh, the intersection of advertising, design, digital media, and the arts. Kevin also travels and lectures frequently and is enthusiastically involved in advertising education and design throughout the world. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. How are things? How is how is 2020, 2021 been treating you? Hey, well, Andrew, honestly, uh, it's great to be here. And, um, you know, as you say, welcome to the new year. Let's uh, hope this year is uh, slightly different to last year. Let's hope we can gather again like we did uh, a couple of years ago at uh, Creative Week. And, um, you know, honestly, um, somebody said to me, uh, they got a free seven-day trial of uh 2021 and they decided to give it back because uh, it was just as bad as 2020 so you know, <laughs> um, looking at the first seven days in our country it was uh, pretty tough to swallow but yeah. um, hopefully after the inauguration things will get really good and better thank you 
Yeah, no, and I, I think that's it, isn't it? I think it's, it's kind of hard because you, with a new year, you kind of think, you know, everything changes, but reality is, <laughs> reality is we're still here, we're still figuring it all out. And um, I, I suppose, you know, um, a lot of the, a lot of um, your, your your business is based around events and award ceremonies. I mean, how exactly. has it affected you? What, you know, how has it affected work and kind of you, everything that you're doing? So, you know, really, Andrew, it's been very interesting. Um, last year, we were really one of the fortunate shows. Uh, we had the best year ever for the one show. Um, a lot of uh, award shows can't, couldn't say that. You know, some of them were cancelled. Um, some of the in-person events were cancelled. But um, what was really interesting is, is that we had set up really early. Um, we, we developed our own systems uh, about 18 years ago and we've been building on these systems mm. so when it came to to switching um to virtual judging um we were able to do that without even missing a beat so um i very early on called that we uh take it virtual um and take the show virtual i i had people saying to me like you're crazy you know we, we've got to gather in person you know it'll be okay but, um, you know, I had seen what was going on in China because we have an office in China and um, I wasn't taking any risks because, you know, these events, when we plan them out, you need at least uh, nine months of planning to be able to do a big in-person event in New York. Um, I mean, we book our event space two years out, you know, it's, it's that long a lead time. So <clears throat> for us, uh, it was a big shift, but um we were one of the first to have to go out there and redo, or I hate to just use the word pivot, but we, we, we were the first where, where it's okay. The one show is one of the first award shows in the season. And we had to change suddenly from um, in-person judging to online judging from mm -hmm. an in-person show to what do you do now? Um, when you do your awards virtually, you know, so it was, um, it was a very, very difficult process. The team did an incredible job um, and <clears throat> it taught us something actually, you know, it taught us some really important lessons. Mm -hmm. One, um, we'll never ever go back to what it was before, you know? So, so what will a award show look like in the future? Well, we very quickly realized that uh, we are a global organization. Mm -hmm. So we had um, almost <clears throat> four or five times the number of people engaged with our brand, engaged with the show than we usually do, you know, in person. So I think going forward, um, we'll definitely do things in a hybrid way because yeah. uh, it'll, it'll allow us to um, connect with our global audience in, in a better way. And, yeah. you know, it'll cut the, the costs of them having to come to New York, yeah. but still being able to get involved and be engaged. So, so we've got some things up our sleeve that we're working on right now that I'm super excited about uh, for 2021. Um, unlike some other shows who, who are hell bent on they're going to do a live event, I um, I'm taking the opposite approach. Mm -hmm. I think this year we are going to still do um, virtual judging, and mm -hmm. our show will be virtually this year mm -hmm. because our show is sort of due to be the one show. And the Art Directors Awards, ADC Awards, you know, they're both meant to take place in May. So uh, I think May is too soon. People won't be gathering in person. So, uh, you know, that's the way I see it. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I think as you say, there's lots of great advantages, aren't there? The, the scale that you can now reach. Um, you know, obviously, as a, a non-profit, it means you don't have the the costs associated with creating a, a large physical event, which you can, I suppose, then divert some of that um, to to do the good that you want to do as an organisation. You know, I'm so glad you actually made mention of that because um, you know something that we actually did was. Um, Immediately when this started happening, I started looking at the impact that this pandemic and and you know people having to um, you know stay in their place was going to affect all the students. And you know, so I said to the team, especially our education team, I said, like, you know, we we usually do portfolio reviews for young students who are just graduating. Mm-hmm. We do the Young Ones Awards, <clears throat> which is an award show for college kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so suddenly, they weren't going to be having portfolio reviews because nobody's going to actually do a review for you. Um, and then they weren't going to get internships. <clears throat> so we started tackling it first, and we built another system. So we took our revenue, um, and we started putting it into systems that will actually really be here for a long time, and will give us a, a leg up over any any of the opposition because you know suddenly we've got an online system that will allow us to give portfolio reviews to students across the globe um, mm. with as many creatives as we want. And these are all, you know, being proprietary and they, they built, you know, from the ground up to serve our, um, our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, so that, that happened. We did virtual portfolio reviews, which was very successful. Um, and then we started tackling for the young creatives, <clears throat> the ability to get um, an internship. Mm-hmm. Because all the agencies now, nobody is working in the agencies. They weren't offering internships, and that's another really important uh, part of a young professional's um, career path. You know, it gets them a foot in the door. They get to see an agency. They get to work with creatives, and most of them actually end up getting a job, their first jobs from that internship. So, you know, we we jumped through some more hoops and we took our um, internships online. And we created virtual internships. Now, we had no idea how that was going to work out, you know, because you've got all these creatives sitting in um, at home, not even in the agency. You've got these students all over the place. <clears throat> we then, for the first time, um, were able to do internships for hundreds of students. Mm-hmm. And it was so successful that all the agencies that did it have like been heading us up, like, okay, you've got to do this again. So we are just starting um, the internships and the portfolio reviews for students, but we're starting it now um, in February. I must say, more than anything, the number of notes that I've got from young students to say, you know, literally, um, you have, if it, if it wasn't for the One Club and, and your programs, I would still be without a job. I would be, you know, living in my parents' house. And um, you know now I'm, I'm employed full time at an agency, so it's it's been remarkable the um, the effect we've had on the industry by um, you know looking at the problems, and instead of uh, in a time of crisis um, backing down and not doing something, yeah. what I I was doing is like okay uh, in a term of crisis where do we find opportunity you know and. Um, you know, we also had on the um, the One Club website, we've got a very active jobs board. So for yeah. agencies, they can go on there, they can post a job, 
And, um, you know, we have a, a very hot trafficked website. So um, we decided, you know, we had corporate members emailing us and saying, <clears throat> yeah, I know there's doom and gloom because um, the headlines in America was like, you know, there's 52, 53,000 jobs going to be lost in advertising in the ad industry. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a couple of uh, agencies who are corporate members calling us and saying, hey, we, we need to hire. We've got some new business. We need to hire. So um, our membership team, they also, you know, I, I said to everybody, look, everything's on the table. You know, if, if you see an opportunity, let's just do it. And our membership team came to us and said, look, um, I know that people are losing their jobs, but we've got people who have jobs that they are trying to fill. Yeah. So we took down our paid jobs board and we made a free mm-hmm. online registry for any agency who had a job that they could post it there. So it'd be no cost, just post it up. And it was a very sort of uh, low tech thing. It was this Google Doc that we we put out. It was rough and crude, but yeah, yeah. man, the number of people that got hired and we had we had an agency who was um, out of San Diego, and they were looking to hire one person. In the end, they hired three because the quality of the people who were applying were just so ridiculously off the charts. So it was a it was a really special moment for us, you know. Yeah, I, I think I've seen so much of that as well, and I think it's so nice to see that you know, the creative industry seems to have got together, you know, in, in the UK and Scotland, you know, when everything happened with COVID, we we went as an agency and we created a, a creative industry COVID support group. And, yeah. you know, within a few weeks, we had 4,000 people join it. And, and we had a very similar approach is that we found a partner that would give us a job board and open that up. Um, cool. And, you know, it's been so nice to see that kind of everyone supporting each other and I think you know it shows great leadership from the the one club in terms of you know I, I think that's when you're in the position of you're a membership organization for the creative industry these are the times that you stand up and show your leadership qualities and it, it's clear that you yeah. have as a, a CEO. You know what's really funny is that um, when I when I first I mean I've been with the organization as you know for 23 years um, and I've been as a CEO for six years but when when I uh, started as CEO, one of the things I asked the board to do was to you know let's get together and, and recraft our mission statement, mm-hmm. and and the mission of the One Club for Creativity is to um, celebrate and support the global creative community. You know, so um, for me that is such a strong statement, and anything that we do, I, I look at that and say like, well, does it fit? You know, so you know we are very very focused on our mission. Um, we, we are here to recognize and support the global creative community, not just the American community, the global community. And, you know, a real, um, a real big project that we did this past year in 2020. And, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, you know, one of the things that people say is like, oh, man, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. I'm saying like, holy shit. Sorry, but <laughs> it's okay. You can you can swear. You can you can swear away. No, exactly. But it's just like holy crap, man. Um, if if twenty twenty one can be as good as twenty twenty, you know, I'll be I'll be grateful. You know, because one of the big things we do is we have uh, eight eight years ago, about eight years ago, I started 
no, 12 years ago, I started the um, Inclusion and Diversity Department, 2008. And um, we we are here to try and bring about more diversity in the industry. And we have boot camps, they're free um, to try and get more black people into the industry. And so, you know, we're working on all these things. And um, Black Lives Matter is happening. It is this big movement across the, the US with uh, the killing of uh, George Floyd. Um, and all crap is breaking loose, you know? And um, we are a, a real diverse organization. The makeup of our board is very, very diverse. Um, the makeup of our staff is diverse. And um, one of our staff members, um, Bob Isherwood, who was the global um, chief creative officer for Saatchi Saatchi many years, he's working in our professional development department. And um, he saw a post from Oriel Lyons Davis talking about how difficult it is to get into this industry because, you know, in, a, in America, if you want to get into advertising, you need to have gone through portfolio school and that costs you about $40,000. Mm. And there's, there's very few people apart yeah. from a privileged few that can pay $40,000 because you've, you've probably gone to college already. And so you've got some sort of college debt. And then yeah. once you finish your degree, and you you get told, hey, there's this great opportunity in in advertising, but in order to do that, you've got to go to a portfolio school. So you've you've already studied, you've got college debt, and now you've got to load up with another forty thousand dollars worth of college debt. And he and he had put this post out on um, LinkedIn, and uh, Bob brought it to me, and he said, look at this, man. He said, like, you know, we we should get involved and we should make something happen. And it was it was very funny because. Uh, I had written um, a note to a couple of our board members on uh, September 29th, uh, 2016. <laughs> I actually went back and I looked for the email because um, what I pitched to them was, hey, here's a great idea. Why don't we create a free portfolio school for black creatives? And um, at the time, you know, the timing wasn't right. And, and the board said to me, yeah, you know, it's a great idea, but, you know, you got to think bigger than that, you know? So anyway, fast forward uh, to last year and um, we just decided we're going to create this free portfolio school for black creatives. And, um, you know, there'll be no college debt. It's free. You're going to come out at the end of this thing and you're going to have a great book or as we call it, a dope book. And um, you're going to get employed, you know? So um, we started about, and uh, I didn't. I didn't even ask the board's permission. I just. I'm doing this, you know, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So we. So we got this thing together, and then I presented to the board, and the board is like, "Oh, this is amazing," you know, especially with the the movement that was happening across America. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were pretty naive, to be honest with you. We we decided we're going to create one school. It's mm -hmm. called One School. And uh, we'll be opening applications for the, the next cohorts starting on uh, February 4th. But we started with this idea that we're going to have one school in New York virtually. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we'll take 15 students because um, we believe education needs to be done in person and it needs to be done in small groups. You can't have a, a big class. So we created the website over a weekend. We went live with this thing. 
and suddenly we had 280 applications you know Fantastic. and uh, we thought oh crazy what, what have we done um <clears throat> so we were sifting through some of them and there were some really fantastic people but we we started getting this um correspondence with people via email saying you know this is great because you're doing it at six o'clock on tuesday and six o'clock on thursday but i'm on the west coast and you know i have to still have a job I've got to put food on the table. I've got to, you know, have a roof over my head. And at three o'clock on the West Coast, um, which is your six o'clock, I'm still at work. So yeah. I can't do this, you know, and I want to do it. So very, very quickly with one week, we we decided, right, let's um, start up a school on the East Coast and a school on the West Coast. So New York and LA. Um, and, and we took 30 students, 30 unbelievably talented students. And, uh, and so we've been instructing them. And um, they they just about to graduate, and I can say that we are really proud to be adding thirty black creatives to the industry to really help solve the diversity issue. And um, the the program was met with such um, rigor by the industry. Big brands came out, uh, agencies came out, small agencies like agencies who have one or two clients they sponsored a seat for a black creative, you know, so all the agencies, um, you know, paid to, to have these students tuition taken care of. Um, we paid the instructors, we paid the course directors and, um, <clears throat> anyway, so 30 were done. Now we started getting calls from South Africa, from London, from the Midwest, from Atlanta, like, Hey, we've seen this program, you know, you have to start this program in our city. So um, I'm that was really my next question. After my brain was going, I was like, you need to do this here. It's crazy because yeah. like, you know, everybody is really struggling with this diversity issue. Yeah. You know, our, our industry, um, unfortunately, is is not as diverse as it should be. And, um, yeah, and, it, and there's, a, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I think one of the key reasons is is the ability to get access um, and also for price and and um, uh, yeah you, you know the means to be able to get yourself through a portfolio school is is just so prohibitive. So I'm thrilled to announce that um, we're going to be and this is actually uh, anyway I'm, I'm going to tell you because it, it'll happen shortly. <clears throat> but we're going to be announcing that we are going to be opening up in both uh, Chicago and Atlanta in the US. Uh, we are in discussions with people in South Africa and in London as well. So um, really exciting. But um, you know, that, that, that was only part of the story. Okay, so, <clears throat> and, and again, when I speak to the, the incredible team we have at the One Club, it's is just, uh, is just amazing. We have some of the best people in the industry. And Bob Isherwood turned around and he was looking at this list of 280 people that had applied and we'd given 30 people opportunity. But what about the others who didn't get opportunity? And <clears throat> Bob came to me with this idea. He said like, why don't we create, because we've already done this mentorship and internship program with agencies, um, why don't we create a program for the people who didn't make it? You know, mm -hmm. so um, I said, uh, okay, Bob, uh, 
all right, you you go ahead, make it happen. <clears throat> so so we used the same um, internship uh, module that we had sort of worked out. We went back out to all the sponsoring agencies and we said to them, look, we had just incredible talent that wanted to join us. We could only take 30. We've got, you know, over 200 amazing people still out there that want to do this program, but maybe they just need a bit of guidance to get their first book together so that they'll stand a better chance next year. Yeah. 2021. So we ended up having um, 89 agencies sponsor or not sponsor, but they, they hosted um, these internships for these 89 creatives. They took 89 in total. And I, I got to tell you, some of them already got hired. They didn't even go to one school. They've, they've already been hired by the agencies because th there was such great underlying talent there. But, um, you know, my point here is, is that what school or organization looks at the people who didn't make it and tries to get them to a good point where they, they're going to, you know, prosper and, and actually get an opportunity. So um, yeah, this is something that we're really proud of. Uh, we, we are making a huge difference in the, the diverse um, or bringing about more diversity into this industry. And uh, we have a similar program for, for women because we think, you know, gender is another, you know, really important part that needs to be um, addressed in this industry. Yeah, it's so so inspiring, Kevin. I think it's it shows some of the greatness that's coming out of the the challenges, you know, of of, of COVID and all the impact. And you know, and, and yeah. I think you know, I'm very inspired to hear you know what you're doing and you know how you've, you you know found that focus. I think, um, you know, making practical steps like that are how you make change. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, I, I suppose for for anyone that's interested in kind of. Uh, you know, reading more about the program or hearing more about that, where, where, where do they go to check it out? Where, where? So, so if you just go to oneschoolny.org is the, the one school application and, and those will open up in February. And so um, anybody can apply. You don't have to be on the East coast or West coast, but if you can make the times that, uh, um, you, you know, the classes are, it's great. And uh, they'll be in, as I say, um, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and LA. But um, the, the other thing that I'd love to, to chat about, talking about other opportunities, mm -hmm. we um, started having a look at the industry and with these headlines of you know, 53,000 people being laid off. And these are, these are people that have been working at an agency for a long time. They are great traditional art directors, copywriters, um, strategists, planners, you name it. And <clears throat> If we have, if we have a look at that, they've got a really solid skill set. And um, the the next thing that we thought of was, how do we help these people who have been laid off and reskill them um, with some digital skills, so that they stand a better chance of being hired in the future, and and maybe even they'll get hired on the brand side or um, at, at at a different type of agency and so what we did is we teamed up with um, a group out of uh, the northwest um, in Seattle um, and uh, School of Visual Communications SBC they are a really great school when it comes to um, 
teaching UX and UI. Yeah. And and something that we looked at was, you know, <clears throat> traditional creatives got, you know, they know how to work with color. They know how to work with topography. You know, they've got great presenting skills. They've got all these skills um, that are their core foundation skills. Mm-hmm. But if you added on three or four other digital skills and you gave them the ability to um, do UX, UI and do research and, and, and do content strategy, you know, we, we started doing some searches and this was really a, an amazing statistic that we found. Um, if you search for just an art director or copywriter, um, currently right now, I did the search um, just before the end of the year, you'd get between 450 to 550 jobs for either an art director or a copywriter. Go and do the search for a UX UI or you know, UX designer or UI designer or content strategist. For UX and UI, there are over 11,000 jobs available for each one of those disciplines. 11,000. Wow. But there's from a designer or an art director, copywriter, four or 500. And for a content strategist, there's about 5,000 jobs. So um, what we did is we started something called Second Skill. And um, what we are doing is we're trying to build on traditional creatives, give them a really you know, sharp digital skill set in either UX or UI or, or content strategy. And um, you know, real, retool them. Um, that industry is growing. It's the fastest growing industry. Um, if you have a look at the um, the opportunities, if there's 11,000 jobs, it means that you're going to get multiple offers um, and you're not going to go in at the lowest level because um, you've got already great creative chops and skill sets that that adds to UX UI. You know, so, um, so that's what you're doing right now. We are, we are um, offering a program called um, Second Skill. And that's secondskill.org, and that's two nd skill.org, and um, you can go there and apply to be um, to jump on this course. That unlike one school, there is a cost to it. You know, um, we we are doing a, a revenue share with the um, SBC, but mm-hmm. um, we, we just think that this is a great opportunity to upskill um, traditional creatives. There, um, I think that. They will be less likely to be let go, or they'll be hired by um, either the brand side or the ad tech industry yep. or an agency. So you know the the opportunities are just far greater for them. Yeah, I think I think you're you're so right. I, I you know I often talk to a lot of younger creatives, and I always try and encourage them, you know, to have kind of like a you know a couple of superpowers, and you know, and in, in a sense. Uh, I, you know, if you imagine, you know, there's five five designers interviewing for a job. If you're a designer that also says, "I can do Unity," or "I can," you know, I've got, you know, you know, I can Cinema 4D. Well, it, you stand out. You you've suddenly elevated yourself because you're, you know, you've married up a couple of things, and I think you've identified another, you know, another great initiative. I think that that that, that that's really, you know, um, really important to to understand. Absolutely, Andrew. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know. Um, if you are coming into the industry, you know, find those superpowers that um, are different to other people, you know, mm-hmm. so that you can stand apart because, you know, there's lots of art directors, there's lots of, you know, copywriters, you know, there's lots of designers, but, but 
Why should we be um, hiring you? What what um, skill set are you going to bring to the agency that will actually help us um, with our new business or our clients or, or, or stuff? Yeah. Yeah. No. Fan- fantastic. So, uh, so Kevin, you know, you, you you're you're in the position as CEO and, um, you know, I can imagine for a lot of people listening, you know, to you, you know, it's very inspiring that the change that you're making happen, the positive change that you're making happen for the industry right now. And, um, uh, you know, I suppose, you know, for, for some of the younger listeners, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to know how did you weave your way <laughs> to get to where you are? You know, where, where did it all start for you? Um, you know, how did you find your way into the advertising industry? Did you always think you would be there? And, you know, um, yeah, just maybe nice to hear a little bit of your personal story. Sure, sure. You know, so it was really interesting, you know, as, as a youngster, I grew up uh, uh, as a surfer in Durban in South Africa. And um, I decided to go to art school and mm-hmm. I studied, became a graphic designer. And um, I, I paid my way through art school, um, airbrushing surfboards for Safari Surf Shop um, in Durban. And it was a crappy job, you know, you, you're in the, the rooms and you just got like, you know, dust everywhere. But um, it, it was something I was really passionate about was, uh, you know, I, I got into airbrushing. That was my super skill then when I was at college. I got into airbrushing um, and I had a couple of friends who wanted their motorcycles painted and their, their vans painted. And in those days, you know, I used to il- illustrate with it, with an airbrush. So that was, that was a fun thing. I, I ended up, Going into advertising, I, I really wanted to be an architect. You know, that was that was what I really wanted to do. And um, I ended up saying, "Look, there's this um, incredible depression in South Africa at the time uh, when I was looking to choose a career path, and um, advertising seemed a better option where I could probably make some money with my art skills." And um, and that that worked out just just that way. But um, the, the funny thing is, in South Africa, is is that you actually have to sign up for national service, no, no longer, but when I was there, um, the minute you've stopped studying, the army calls you up. And um, so I I got my call-up papers. I, I had sailed from Durban to Mauritius on a, on a sailing boat, um, a 66-foot boat, and uh, I got to Mauritius, and uh, my dad called me, and he said, hey, sonny boy, um, your call-up papers come. You've got to fly back to um, – South Africa to get enrolled in the army. So uh, I went from art college. I had my first job at a small agency in Durban called Heath Donahue. And, um, and then I, I, I took some time off and I, I uh, sailed. But um, I went to the army and, and that was a really interesting experience. I, I ended up not being the regular because I don't think do anything that's regular. You know, like I'm, I'm like the, the person who does the exact opposite, you know. So Army is for two years, and um, I decided that. And then you had to do army camps every year, you know, and it could be a three month camp. So I decided, like, you know, screw this. I'm going to um, sign up for special forces. So I, I ended up doing that. So it was a it was a pretty crazy time, um, and and th- and thankfully I I came out of it on the other side. But when I came out of the army, um, I went back to Heath Donahue, and I said, look, hey, I'm back, you know. Um, <clears throat> And they said, well, we just had a layoff of all of the people, you know, the, the economy was really bad. And um, so I ended up like so many students right today. I ended up living at home, 
I said, like, screw that. I'm just like, start up a studio in my dad's garage. You know, at that stage, <clears throat> it was still like, you know, a drawing board and letter set and nobody would even know what letter set is today. But anyway, it was like, you, you had to lay your hand, your type by hand and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I started up my dad's back garage and I was one of the luckiest son of a guns. I, I had this little client and they said to me, there's this um, world expo that's going to be happening in our town. <clears throat> Take our plans and get them approved because they asked me to just draw up their plans for their exhibition stand. So I'm standing in the line there and there's a guy in front of me talking to another person saying, holy shit, somebody's going to make a shit ton of money. So I tapped the guy on the shoulder. And I said, like, okay, so tell me about this. He said, no, there's this tender out to draw and paint the entire exterior of the expo. Oh. I said, well, he said, yeah, there's only one person who's actually put a bid in. <laughs> so I said, okay. He said, yeah, and the bid was X. Cool. So I said, okay, well, that's really good information. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, so, thanks, Dave. so I said, well, how do I put a bid in? And he said, well, just go to the office there and ask him for a form. So I went to the office there, got a form, and I put in the bid minus X. Um, <clears throat> and lo and behold, we got the contract. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy because suddenly I went from <clears throat> not really having a job yeah. to trying to make shit stuff happen, you know. And <clears throat> I then went out and hired my entire college class. <laughs> to help me at night. <laughs> and we, we literally painted the entire expo <clears throat> with all these drawings that some there was a competition that kids kids had entered. And so we put this thing, we, we put overhead projectors on yeah. long extension cords, and we had to take a marker and and redraw these kids' illustrations on the exterior. And um anyway, so long story short, I got a, a huge break. Um and I was able to generate a lot of money. And uh, and then I I heard of this agent, and I I actually just bought a house then. So I, I ended up buying a house in Durban. And about two weeks later, I was at, at our printer getting some printing done for a client that I had. And this printer said to me, man, there's this incredible person who's in Johannesburg, and um, she's looking to leave the country and go to Australia. But she has this agency and she's just closing it down. Do you want to buy some of the equipment? So, so I said to, to Barry, I said to him, what about buying the agency? He says, no, no, she's just, she's just going to sell the equipment and she's going to close it down. So I said, well, if I bought the equipment, will she give me the book basically and make yeah. the introductions? And he said, I don't know. Let's call her and ask her. And so uh, two weeks later, I, I, I went to Johannesburg. I'm, I left. I just bought this house in Durban. Um, and I said to my dad, I'm going. I'm going to Johannesburg and I'm going to buy this agency. And uh, how so, old were you? How old were you here, Kevin? Uh, I was 23. 23. Okay. 23. And so, so I go to Johannesburg. My dad is just like losing his mind because it's like, okay, so uh, what are you going to do with the house? So my brother rented the house from me. Um, didn't pay any rent, but he rented it probably. <laughs> so, so I go to Joburg and um, I actually changed the name of this agency and uh, started what was then Creative and Strategic. It was a small agency in Johannesburg. Um, 
MNET, which is a, a t- television station in Johannesburg, um, they had YNR as their agency of record. But um, we out dojoed them. We like ninjaed them totally. <laughs> because, like, you know, like a big traditional agency, they'd get a brief to do something and they'd sit in it for three months and then it would be the week before the event and they don't have invitations, they don't have stuff. And so we used to do all basically below the line stuff. And yeah. uh, it was it was fantastic, man. It was really, really great. But, you know, <clears throat> that honeymoon ended um, on a not so happy note because I had a partner who um, I ended up taking on a partner because we were growing and in the end it didn't work out. So we, we shut the agency down. Um, and I'd, I was one of the first agencies to implement a whole Apple computer line. And then <clears throat> um, the guys at Apple approached me and said, look, you know, you, you know, Apple computers, you know, and I, I set up my own studio with them and everything like that. You're the first agency to implement, you know, Apple computers. Why don't you come and work with us? So I, I ended up getting hired at Apple, which was one of the one of the best experiences I've ever had. So I had <clears throat> small entrepreneurship, and then I had you know yeah. big, big corporate culture, mm. and and that was fantastic. Um, uh, one of one of the one of the fond memories I have of Apple is uh, <clears throat> we we had this T three line, which was like a direct link to the Apple office. Um, in Cork, in Ireland. And um, so <clears throat> it would be at four o'clock our time in South Africa. Um, there would be this war cry around the office, gathering, gathering. And at that stage, um, <clears throat> we used to jump on and play marathon, which is the first person shooter game with our friends in Cork Island. You know, so <clears throat> it was the early, early days, of the internet. And yeah. um, it was it was really fun. The first sort of network game that you could play um, yeah. between two countries, you know. So it was it was fantastic stuff, and used to have a lot of fun doing that. And um, then <clears throat> an opportunity arose. We we had this young guy who was an intern at uh, Apple, and the One Club was bringing the One Show, this big advertising award show, to South Africa, and they were sponsored by Apple. And they were going to have the exhibition in uh, Johannesburg, Cape Town, and Durban. And this this intern that had been given the, the assignment of make it happen completely botched it. He he didn't do a great job. And the the then CEO of the One Club lost her mind. She just absolutely like just came down on the <clears throat> the, the general manager of Apple in Johannesburg. And, you know, being the type of person I am, um, he turned around to me and he said, like, just fix this, you know. Mm-hmm. So I jumped in, man, and I may hustled and we got the exhibition. It was great, 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 great success. But at that stage, talking about superpowers, um, <laughs> I, I had been programming um, in what was called Macromedia Director at the time. Oh, I remember it. It's the most painful <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> right, exactly. So, but you know, like I'm, I'm always Lingo. learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm always learning. So, um, and, and this is another thing for students out there. Just, just keep on finding different little bits of superpowers that you can add to your arsenal of, of uh, stuff. So I'd been programming and director and 
there were these heavy annuals for the one show. And when you open the page, there'd be these little three um, pictures that represented a TV script. And they still had the round edges the way you'd actually have a TV script in, in uh, the agency. And I said, like, Mary, this doesn't make sense. There's this thing called, you know, a CD-ROM. And I can put those TV commercials onto a CD-ROM and you can put a CD-ROM in the annual and then people can watch the TV commercials. So I, I did one. I created this uh, interface and I sent it to her and she, she wrote me an, a letter back because there wasn't really, there was email, but she, she wasn't on email. She wrote me a letter back and she said, well, how much do you want for this? So I said, ah, just X dollars. And, you know, which seemed like a lot to me. And immediately, okay, done. So I created the first CD-ROM for the one show that went into the annual. Sounds like you and underpriced that. <laughs> yeah, like, 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 like way underpriced. It was like ridiculous, you know. If I think back now, it's just ridiculous. But um, <clears throat> then I said to her, I said to her, look, I've got an idea. There's this thing called the internet that's, that's starting to happen. You should have an advertising award show for interactive media. Hmm. So I wrote up this whole thing. She said, well, write something up. And this, at this stage, I got on to email. So we're like emailing each other. And um, she said, well, write something up and I'll present it to the board. Mm. So I, I wrote this whole um, idea up of having the first interactive award show for advertising mm -hmm. and sent it to her. And it was a summer board meeting. They barely had a quorum. So there was no opposition to this. She pitched this idea and the board signed off on it. And then they said, oh, well, you should consider hiring this guy to come out and run it because like none of us know anything about this shit, you know? <laughs> so, so she did, she made me an offer and um, yeah, I left Apple and uh, Apple South Africa and came to um, the US to run this. And that's where I've been for, you know, 20, well, this year it'll be 24 years. Yeah, crazy. Wow, that's a, a great story or many great stories within a story there. <laughs> fun stuff, man, fun stuff. Oh, I love it, love it. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I suppose um, maybe for the last section of the, 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 the episode today is I, I'm quite interested, you know, you, you meet so many inspirational people, so many amazing agencies, so many amazing brands. And I think there's a really nice shift and change um, in the way that, brand i suppose finds its place in the world and you know very much like how you've used the one club uh, brand for good i think you know we're seeing a really positive shift in business and brand that 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 businesses are becoming much more you know value driven and uh, using their brands for good and i i suppose kind of two things I, i'm interested you know because you're you know you'll be seeing where things are going um right you know where, where do you see the next sort of step change for brand and i suppose in amongst that i would love to know you know how you define or see brand or talk about it in today's world so so something and you know i'm gonna take this from my standpoint you know the, this whole covid thing when it happened um i i am you know there was ppp which was you, you know a way that the government could help you stay afloat by, by giving you and your staff some funding and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, it was funny because I was listening to PPP and I was just thinking, 
you know, put people and purpose above profit. And, and so for me, <clears throat> that's what we did in 2020. We didn't lay off a single person and we put our people and our purpose before profit. And it worked out really well for us. Um, a huge trend we've seen, um, certainly given the events um, around the Black Lives Matter movement that's gone through the US, um, we, we've seen brands being more countable. We've just seen this now with our election. The last couple of days, you've seen brands turn around and say, we are not going to support X because it, it doesn't align with our brand standards and our corporate beliefs. Yeah. And and I think that brands are going to be more accountable. They are. They, they, they're stepping up to the plate and they're saying, we are not going to condone that. We're not going to support that. And, and the reason why they're doing it is because they're putting their people first. And when I say that, brands are under pressure from their staff because if your company's ideas are not aligned with my ideas, then I, as a free agent, can go to move to a company that I'd want to work at that is in line and, and, and does represent my, brand, my, my values as an individual. Yeah. So um, brands are needing to take a stance on numerous issues, whether it be gender or race um, or political. Um, you know, that they, they can have a political opinion and, um, and choose to either support a party or not, or to um, support gender equity. Um, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the brands going forward will be very, very focused on purpose. Um, they, will, they will have um, values that, that they won't falter on. And if they do falter on them, they'll be held accountable by those individuals who are generally their consumer. And if a consumer decides that um, a brand is not or does not have their values, they will shop elsewhere or they'll buy a different product. So I think that, you know, we've started seeing that in the last four or five years, we've started seeing advertising change mm -hmm. and um, it has been very purpose-driven. So um, not, not everything is, will be purpose-driven because, you know, brands still have to um, focus on, on selling a moving product, but, um, there will be a very purpose focus to to brand value. the The other thing that i'm I'm really seeing is that brands now have the relationship with their consumer, the direct relationship, because a brand has the ability now to control their social media. and and they don't they don't just farm social media out to an agency. Some do. Um, but but generally, the the tight connection between the, a brand and their consumers controlled by the brand nowadays. Um, they brought social um, in-house because they understand it. It has to be nimble. It has to be dealt with very quickly, and it has to have the right brand voice. So, so they they very carefully control that, and they they brought that internally. If they do it externally, um, there's some fantastic social agencies that are doing you know that job for some brands but um 
I've seen that you know there's a lot of that that's been bought internally. The the other thing that we've seen is the the huge move for brands to build in-house studios. And you know this this was something that happened in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, you know they they did some of the work and some of the work was done well, some of the work was done badly. And we still seen that today, where um, there's work that's been done in-house that is is just not great. But um, I'm a firm believer that there will be a place for um, creatives within the brand itself. And um, if you have a look at the likes of uh, Apple, where Tor Mayron and Nick Law and so many other creatives have moved um, onto the brand side. And, and it goes across the board, whether you're looking at Google, they've got their Google Creative Labs. So um, I, think, I think the whole industry has changed dramatically. There's some brands that would not do that. I know for a fact, like Burger King, um, Fernando Machado, who's the CMO of Burger King, is on our board. Um, he he doesn't see that there would ever have an internal agency because what he wants to do is <clears throat> go out to the top five, six, seven agencies and say, pitch me all your ideas. I want the best ideas around my brand. And he didn't he, he wouldn't want to be sort of, hamstrung by a team internally he wants to shop out his brand to as many great agencies as they can just to come up with ideas so the the other big trend i've seen is the the move from agency of record to um project-based work which which is not a great thing for the industry um and the reason i think it's it's actually affecting the industry is is that an agency needs to have a steady income to be able to put the skill set um, that they need internally. So, yeah. you know, they, they, they need to be able to build capabilities and it's hard to build um, capabilities, whether it be AR or VR or data or, or the likes, if you are working on a project basis, <clears throat> because, you, you know, you then are focused on this project and when that ends, then, you know, what you defined you, more. You know, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. You know, so I think some of the trends we're going to see within agencies is they also have to find their superpower. They've got to decide, okay, what type of agency am I going to be? And then um, they're going to have to hire the skill sets and, and the uh, capabilities to be able to serve that. And um, I think we're going, to, we're going to go away from being sort of one size fits everything to sort of some focused um, agencies with certain capabilities that are, are going to be working, um, you know, with brands. Yeah. Mm. I, I, and I suppose, Kevin, you know, when, when I was out in New York with you guys um, two years ago, I think now we were, you know, David Droga was there and, you know, the Accenture deal had just happened with Droga 5. Yeah, you that know, was an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a very insightful. And yeah, yeah I, suppose, I, I suppose, you know, where, where is your head at or what are you hearing in terms of, you know, that kind of blend of consultancy, you know, kind of hybrid with, you know, creative industry or creative agency is, you know, do you think we'll see lots more of that or... Yeah, you, you know, there's there's no doubt that um, the consultancies are trying to become more creative, and um, you know, I, I know for a fact that you know when you have a look at uh, Accenture or uh, Deloitte, these guys are are buying up um, good creative shops to be able to help out with their, you know, they don't have that uh, 
um, superpower of creativity. They've got the superpower of of being able to do some really complex, in-depth analysis and, and studies around a brand, but they don't have the the, the, the creative side to that. So they they are um, doing a lot of acquisitions, um, and you know something that you're seeing even as you know Sir Martin Sorrell with his S4 Capital, yeah. you know they've decided what type of agency that they want to be and 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 they want digital superpowers and and you can see with the acquisitions that um Sir Martin has done um around S4 Capital is has been very strategic and saying right okay we are going to become this like super hot um digital focused shop and so they're buying up those types of companies um and yeah, I think it's it's going to all all boil, boil down to um, what are you comfortable with, and and how do you want to grow as an agency, and and what's the type of work you want, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there was also the I don't know if you noticed the other day that Twitter announced the acquisition of uh, Weno as well, and you know, I suppose that's to your point earlier on of brands pulling agency in house as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know. The number of um, creatives that have been sucked into the brand side is just incredible. You know, in the last two years, it's just been uh, just a major thing. And, you know, so we are also focusing on the brand side ourselves, you know, because, you know, it's such a big part to us. You know, when we say that that we are here to um, support the creative industry, um, brands are creatives are brand side. You know, they they brand side as well. So you know, we are actively working on the brand side to to work with their creatives and um, support and, and elevate them. Yeah. Great. Well, Kevin, I'm conscious of time. Uh, as usual, I could chat away forever, but I'm sure you have uh, plenty more to be getting on with uh, during your day. So um, thanks so much um, for, for joining us on the show. And thanks to everyone who's been listening. If you want to support the podcast, please do rate and review us. Help us get the word out. It really does help. Uh, we publish a new episode on the last Monday of every month, uh, kind of. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes the Friday, sometimes the Monday, we try our best. Um, so make sure you're subscribed um, and we look forward to seeing you all next time. Fantastic, Andrew. Thank you so much.